0: started and then they come in. Kurt, are you ready?
1: All set.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Transportation 2050 Steering Committee for September 22nd. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Please remember to mute yourself if you're on video when you're not speaking the chat for this public meeting is disabled and all chats will go directly to Paul or I unless you're participating in the meeting please turn on your video off this allows active meeting participants to be seen on screen you will still be able to hear the meeting when you are participating please turn your video on if you have any trouble send us a chat we reserve the right to mute people or turn individual videos on or off to minimize distractions during the meeting and we will go ahead and get started um, if everybody is ready to do that. Great. Well thank you for those of you who joined us online and those of you that are in person. We are um, we been. have been feverishly working on a lot of content um, as you can see what we put on the agenda for your consideration tonight. Um, to talk about. And so Paul's going to kind of walk you through the public engagement survey survey summary. That's a result of really the conversations that we had from our public survey and all the engagement work that we did in the community um, this spring and into summer. And then the beginning, you know, our really first draft of our existing conditions. So thinking about for, as the plan starts to take shape, um, where we are in documenting all of our existing transportation stuff. And you saw there's some blank stuff. So you can see it's still a work in progress. Um, but we really want to have that touch point to see what else maybe we need to explore further as we do all this to put this together before we um, prepare for our next round of public engagement, which would be some of the content in the plan in terms of recommendations and, and strategies and action. So um, if that sounds okay with everybody, Paul's going to go ahead and get, you have somebody waiting in the waiting room, uh, and Paul's going to go ahead and get started, and he has some highlights of the engagement summary to kick off this discussion.
2: So as we go through the engagement summary, we had a couple questions just to get people thinking and engaged. So one of the questions is is just what stands out to you most about the engagement summary, and also what are the top two issues that the plan needs to address based on on what we've heard. So we we did a,
0: a share screen also. Yes. Do
3: you
4: need me to
0: sign back in or? Um Okay, sure. Okay, There's, it told us that we're signed out. So that's kind of funny.
2: There's someone in the waiting room, did you, can you let them in?
0: I'm not on zoom, but yes, I can. Oh, okay, I will. But if I sign in here, then it will really, okay.
4: it's okay. We'll do this.
2: Oh, he's, he's joined. He's okay. Joined. Great. All right. So. We, we put together a survey. Um, we had about 730 responses to the survey. We were pretty pleased with with that number. We set up tabling events at a number of different events around Lawrence, Lecompton, Alden um, City, and Eudora. Um, farmers markets, art, arts fairs, things like that, to, just to try and catch people to get them to take the survey. Um, the oh, and we also did stakeholder interviews with we we interviewed, we interviewed about twenty different groups organizations, ranging from from KDOT to um, different social service providers, different interest groups, police department, um, just food, different organizations like that. And the survey results are largely summarized in, in this infographic. So walking, we, we asked people to rate their their satisfaction on a scale of one to five with the four different modes of transportation. Walking was the mode that was most satisfied. people were most satisfied with. Can you let her in?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm do I'm- I'll manage it. So okay. You're good now.
2: Um so, 43% of people that took the survey indicated they did walk to get around. Uh, it was the highest satisfaction again. Some of the factors that impacted satisfaction were there were drivers not stopping or yielding um, for people crossing streets or sidewalks. The sidewalk network being incomplete or sidewalks being in, in need of repair. Um, auto or car was the next most um, satisfaction with uh, 86% of people reporting that they drive themselves to get around, and 24% of respondents saying they they get a ride from uh, friends or family to get around. And top things that impact satisfaction are cost, roads in need of repair, and drivers not following the rules of the road. Uh, Public transit or bus, 20% of respondents reported um, using the the bus to get around. Top factors impacting satisfaction were it takes too much time, routes do not go where I want to go, and schedule does not meet my needs. And bicycling was the the mode with the least satisfaction. 26% of respondents um, said they they bike to get around. Factors impacting satisfaction were the bicycle network being incomplete, difficult to transport kids or large items, and destination being too far away. Um, We also asked if you drive yourself to work, what are your main reasons for doing so? Um, People say they prefer to drive their own car, or there's no shared ride available, infrequent transit, or need a a car for personal uh, business or the, the most common responses. We also asked people to rank um, how important the following factors should be for the region. Um, So safety was number one, Uh, affordable and accessible transportation was number three, reducing impacts to the environment such as water, air quality, climate change, et cetera, was number three. Um, So I'm not going to read them all off other than to note that Reducing climate, sorry, reducing traffic congestion was actually the the lowest. And we do ask for demographic information just to to gauge if our surveys reflecting the population. Um, so not necessarily going to go through all of those, but that information is included. You know, we ask people what if they attend school, which which school they go to. Um, if they work, retired, work part time, household income, number number of vehicles in the household, um, people's age, um, race, ethnicity, that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's high level of of what we heard. Um, we did include when people provided individual comments; those are included in the in the meeting materials as well for. To, to see some of those individual comments. So I'll, I'll pause there if there's any comments, questions, or um, any discussion.
5: Paul, this is Matt, Matt Um Could you talk a little bit about how the survey responses might influence the way you draft the plan? Yeah, I, I think that our, our goal is to, to
2: use the survey responses to help us understand the community feel um, on some of these issues. So it, it should be a guiding
5: factor in, in drafting the plan. I mean, in the list of priorities in terms of what you as a professional staff think might be needed for a transportation plan versus the responses you got, I mean, what order of priority would you place the, the responses at? you wanna tackle it? Yeah, I'll
0: talk a little bit really about it. I I think it depends. I think in some cases, it alerts us to issues that we need to do additional planning work. So it can allow us to identify strategies that we may need to address. Um, Although there are federal requirements to this plan, and those are going to top anything. And as part of that process, you provide meaningful engagement too, so you can understand the community's perspective about issues. We still have an obligation to ensure that we can move goods and services in our community. And that some of that Im, is impacted by what's happening in terms of travel time reliability, which is impacted by traffic congestion. So I think it's about really understanding how all these things fit in, in terms of people's perceptions about them, but also the reality then too. If you go, we haven't gotten into this yet, but we'll go look at, we'll pull travel time reliability data from the national data sets, and we'll understand how does that compare to what we're seeing in our travel demand model, which is more technical stuff as we start to get into that's going to be the next kind of series of phases stuff we show you and. That's where I think we're going to have to come to terms on many of these issues about what's professional good judgment and best practices where we've been what's consistent with plan 2040 and other planning documents Um, this this as a metropolitan long-range transportation plan we're not going to get in a lot of the issues that impact people daily there's some of the biking and walking issues um we hear a lot from the public when we go out and just talk to them in general about transportation um but when we get into this we're not going to go relive those bicycle and pedestrian plans in this plan besides to say, here's the currently adopted stuff, we're pulling it together collectively and then identify if there may be a need of something we still need to do work on. For example, I know in pedestrian work, we need to do additional work, particularly in the city of Lawrence pedestrian plan, We that we've identified the additional need to do crossings to to, to develop some standards around that, which the city, is, city of Lawrence is working on with the Multimodal Transportation Commission. That's one example. But those are the types of things that might shape the policy of what we would call for in that conversation equally you know a good comment think, to think about is some of the transit comments we did this public engagement just on the heels of the transit route redesign in august uh, since we've done this public engagement in august transit service changed you know, based on that route redesign. And sometime next year, it's going to change again before we get this plan adopted. We've asked people before any of those things happen, maybe when they didn't necessarily know those things were happening. And so some of those perceptions from the community have to be balanced with where we are in the process and how much we can technically expect the public to know about that process as we're doing that work. Thank you. Okay. But if you get into it later and have some more specific questions because our next so our next when we talk about how it will shape some of the work we do it will and we will give people another opportunity to comment. So part of this next step after we put together the existing conditions and look at the goals and strategies and recommendations we had in the last plan, remember, because we do this every five years, it's a cycle, is that we will take back some more drafts to the public and do some open houses as a phase two of public engagement. And when we admittedly do that public engagement, we are asking a lot more from the public because we are giving them materials that they're going to have to consume to be able to participate in a different way. So our engagement numbers will go down, you know what I mean, in terms of how much we're asking from people to, to read or process before they can give us feedback to stuff. Um, but so it won't be the same quantity, but it helps kind of shape the whole story about where we're
4: going.
1: So for for anyone that maybe joined as we had already kicked
2: off j- just so we we recap the public engagement and we're asking what stands out to you the most about the engagement summary and
1: are, what what are the top two issues that the plan needs to address based on on what we heard We want to put it big so we can see all the people or just make that yeah
0: anybody online have any thoughts about that or as you look through the comments and the engagement summary stuff that stood out to you
4: um this is dot nary i joined late i got a teams Link and I was waiting on Teams for the meeting to start, and then I realized it must be somewhere else. So I apologize, I, I missed some of the meeting, so I'll try to catch up.
1: so the question to the advisory board of what are the top two issues from the
5: comments that emerged that should be addressed in the plan yeah so may i ask what your own opinions are on that
0: well there's quite a lot of comments so i don't know that we had anything on the top of our minds necessarily but you know we're quite intimately familiar with a lot of the planning work that's been done um and so i think that's really our question to you to see which things maybe stood out to you And our staff team asked us the same, a similar question, which is what stood out to you? And I've been doing this work for 12 years. So for the most part, many of these comments, besides some of people's specific scenarios, we've heard in the process, you know, many of that shouldn't be new to us as we do these iterative processes. So it's helpful for us sometimes to hear what you think in that regard, to be able to help us hone back in or go back as I reread, you know, as we reread these, as we're writing that um, to shape that work. That was like a non-answer, but.
3: <laughs> well, this is Damon. Um, I'm here from Multimodal Transportation Commission. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I was like super shocked at a lot of things, but um, there were just a ton of uh, comments made about the lack of safe bike walk uh, infrastructure and options, and especially like interior of the city. I know a lot of people mentioned how great the loop is But, you know, connecting to destinations inside is, there's a lack of safe options. Um, So a lot, being someone who bikes around town, this doesn't surprise me. Um, But I was kind of surprised there were a lot of comments asking for protected infrastructure, which I find hopeful because I thought I was kind of on a, on an island wanting, you know, that heftier infrastructure, but I did see a lot of
1: asked for that, which I think is great. We seem to have a lot of commentary on the bus system. Can you speak to how
5: much this plan addresses the city's own decisions about how many buses to employ, what routes to run, what times? Is that within the scope of this plan?
0: So this plan includes all the modes, which includes transit and our other paratransit providers. So. Um, However, it doesn't get into operational specifics of this. And I mentioned a little bit about how, you know, we're looking high level Um, because we do specific bike and ped planning and transit does some operations planning. um, We're going to pull those plans into this process. Transit just completed a transit route redesign study and transit center station relocation work that's happening at the same time. You know, so we're not going to we'll finish this plan before they have completed that and deployed that. And so we will incorporate some of their vision and plans. We'll recognize, like, for example, they are in the effort, as you looked probably through, as we get to the next chapter two, we're going to highlight all those those planning efforts that we know about that are going on. And one of those things, for example, is the zero emissions transit transition plan. And so things like that, where we would call, we know this work is coming, it's planned for the next year. It's it, we identify it in there. We won't be doing. We don't use, We don't do those individual plan items as part of the plan. Um, this is already a robust, pretty robust planning process to do in a year to develop that plan. So, does that kind of answer your question?
5: Yeah, I think it does. It just helps kind of frame the scope of what we're doing, and I think it's also fair to say that we're not going to get into where the new transit hub should be
0: yes no that's that's been decided it's right getting ready to construct that but
5: and to what extent would this plan speak about parking downtown would it have any Uh, thoughts or or comments within it?
0: So that's something where, you know, there's a, the city of Lawrence has a 10-year operational downtown parking plan. It's something that if it's of interest to draw into the conversation as it relates to um, future investment, it's something we can mention, do you know what I mean? And draw in that in. If we think that that, you know, as we get through any of those plans don't meet the current context or needs, we could call for additional planning work to be done. We won't do assessments as part of this plan. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is really, if we're thinking large scale about transportation, it's supposed to set our vision and priorities. Um, Really what it also is going to do as we get down further down in the route, if you've looked at the old plan at all, the previous plan, it'll give you a really good indication about some of the federally required components we're required to have. And so in that we will have a travel demand model and we'll look at if we have the projections for population and employment out to 2050, then what happens to our, as the model loads trips in the network to the network, how does that make the network respond in terms of the capacity the roadway has to handle that? And where might we need to draw attention to projects or programs or policies that are gonna impact how people and goods and services move in our community? That's really where the nature of a lot of the federal trans- long-range transportation planning work came out of, and that's what we're going to get into. So some, some of the more specifics are going to be around project selections that we program kind of within fiscal constraints. So one of the other things we'll be, we've will be we been working on, and you'll hopefully get to see as we get you know, in our next month meeting, is um, where we're at in terms of how much money we think we're going to have out to 2050 to do some of this work. Um, and so there's probably, probably some of the questions you have will get answered. As we as we go down that, Um, they're they're good questions because I think it sets the tone for maybe some of the where you feel like where some of the comments belong, um, in terms of this. But even if you think it's not appropriate, we can answer in that way. So if you have a comment, there's probably no comment that's silly. We can talk about either it belongs as something we address in the plan, or we call for it in the plan, or we figure out where it fits.
5: I think it's helpful when you interact with the public, particularly in the later stages, if you can have some. Clear distinctions and information about what this plan does and what it does not do, and that I mean you're going to get those oh, absolutely. about
1: yes yes
5: suggestion downtown and parking and yes you know so yeah I think yeah. if it's relevant great if it's if it's outside the scope of this then I think that's helpful too yeah
0: and you know we're asking really big picture. Right. Um, and and you're right. When we get to the next series of meetings, we'll you'll see we'll design some boards like for more open house, house style meetings, or we're, where if we're sitting up in the library lobby, we'll probably have some boards with us because we're going to have to tell people about some of the conditions or some of the existing plans to to get them to understand or be able to provide us the level of feedback we want about some of the strategies we're calling for. Yeah. And and there's and admittedly. Not all the same people who necessarily participated in our first round of engagement are going to be able to engage in that same way.
1: And some of our plans have evolved. This will be the third plan that I've that I've written while being at the MPO. So
0: There may be also some, as I think about that in terms of what this plan does or doesn't do, there may be some specific scenarios we ask people. We may show them some results from the model, or we may show them, for example, this model is going to be a mode split model. So it's going to show us, we've previously only done models where we look at car and auto trips. And this next model is going to allow us to look at transit. So we may look at some scenarios about investments in transit. As, a, as project solutions to show how that may impact vehicle miles traveled or congestion on a network in terms of future out years and stuff like that. So there, there will be things like that, that people can look at. There's a lot of technical data that feeds into that, um, to building that. Um, and we have a consultant who's working on that for us now. And uh, so some of that will just be a, a give and take in terms of seeing you know how people respond to some of that.
1: So as you read through this,
0: if you see something else, if nobody has anything else to add, uh, something surprises you or you want to ask us about something else, please feel free to reach out, phone or email. We're happy to um, explain something or talk about the reality of something, whether it's on this item or as we get down the process as we're going through this. If there's no other My name is,
6: hi, this is August Woodiselle. My experience is primarily with public transit. So reading through this, one of the things that I realize I'm not really in tune with is other forms of transportation action committees like PTAC or or route redesign, especially regarding bicycle and and sidewalks. Are there, like I said, I do a lot of public transit as far as buses and are there the equivalent city committees for cyclists? And I know we have the the Lawrence Loop people are there, are there city committee equivalents to public transit committees that I'm on for sidewalks or, or bicyclists?
0: Damon, do you want to answer that? I think MMTC is the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Do you want to answer that?
6: <laughs> um,
3: please go for it. Okay.
0: <laughs> so Damon, who's joining us tonight, he represents um, the Multimodal Transportation Commission. And so that committee is made up as the perspective to consider multimodal transportation, which includes bicycle, pedestrian, auto, kind of a more holistic approach to to decision-making. The MPO also at this point has a a subcommittee of the MPO policy board. That's a a city county bikeway committee, although admittedly um, that may be going away in the future. So separate issue, but there have... There have been, and when we do the bicycle and pedestrian planning, like the transit planning experience you just had with route redesign, each of those planning processes engage a steering committee of stakeholders to help do that work, whether or not there is a, sometimes an official city advisory committee.
1: Perfect. Thank you. All right.
0: Um we at our discretion we have a member of the public is there something you would like to comment on this topic about our process and the collected data we did about public engagement? Nope.
1: Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Is everybody ready for Paul to move on?
2: Okay. All right, so now we're we're jumping over to the draft of chapter 2 existing conditions. So I'm not going to go through every page, but if there's something I don't cover that's on the page I don't hit, feel free to to jump in or or let us know about that. So um, we looked at land use throughout um, the county, and obviously not a lot of of change over a five-year period from the from the last plan. Um, looking closer at Lawrence, you know those land use changes take a long time to um, to to take take hold. Paul,
5: can I ask you a question about that? Yes. Can you put that map back on the city side, not the county? So are we looking at actual land use, not zoned? Right, this is the land use. Um, So inside the city limits, there's property that's that's zoned commercial or more intense, may not be developed yet. And those uses would show like as ag or bacon or something on this map, right? Would that then get reflected in the future land use map to, re, to show there's something zoned? Would you would you bump it up to its you know approved zoning level, or at what point do you make that switch? Um,
0: so we're not making the land use switch in this plan, but we are using the using those zonings and understandings and partnering with city county planning and the plan the planning director and and their staff to make assumptions about based on where those zonings are higher density for future population projections. So we have a projection um, that they, they'll have a projection that's, here's how much population we're going to have in the county by the, by 2050. How do we lay that out? Where is it going to go? Because part of that, and we have the, a whole grid across the entire city and county that's called traffic analysis zones. And so we will show you at a future meeting, our existing and future projected populations throughout those zones. And that is on the backside based on known conditions about land use that are part of plan 2040. So you'll see that because that's what feeds the model in terms of where TRIPS generate often from people's house of residence, right? So we're gonna see population. And on the other side of that, we'll have employment projections and the Institute of Traffic Engineers has a book it has all guides. And so based on the type of employment in a place, whether it's, there's a whole variety of things, very simply retail and non-retail, those employment rates have trip generation rates to them. And so we will use those both existing and future projections to understand how trip making, how we would anticipate trip making to happen on the network. And we will br- we will bring that back to, sh- to show you.
1: Would a model like that include like
3: shipping? Like if there's like say a large, warehouse delivery fulfillment center? Would it show trip trip generation from something like that?
0: So it's not a... There is modeling that gets down to like corridor specific modeling. Mm. Overall, there is a truck rate in some of that based on on some of that employment based on those employment factors. Mm. I don't know exactly how that works. You're going to have to ask our modeling consultant, but there there's consideration to that. Again, remember there's truck routes and non truck routes, so they're not going to. So as you're thinking about them across the network, we're looking about in and out values, sometimes in and out of the county and truck fl- truck trip flows, mm. um, and so some of those or more ratios of overall flows on some of those higher volume classifications, but how those work in the model we'll have to get a little more detail with our consultant. I can't imagine
5: that. if you had an industrial
0: yes on the map
5: that would trip generation.
0: Yeah, and it's based all those ITE factors from that book are based on the employment type. So the more employment types you have, you can use those different factors to understand that I'm not, you know, we're validating a model at the county level not necessarily to a corridor or to a site, like when land development happens and they're doing projections for that, or if they're doing modeling for a specific highway or, or on and off, um, we're looking at validating it for the entire county. Um, and so we'll, so we, you'll get to see all of that about how we come to say, we believe this is a predictable, valid model based on best practices. So, but yeah, all of, I. I've taken a class in that. It's been over a decade ago. So I understand enough of how it works, but we'll need to ask the consultant because there's even some mode shift stuff. So there's some considerations about rates for bike and ped usage and transit usage that will be new to our, to our model experience and conversations about scenarios. We will make sure he is here. <laughs>
2: So so in the land use in in the county, it's around 78% agriculture, not not surprising in in the city. The predominant uh, land use is single family residential around 30% um, with other uses um, smaller around around 10, 5, 10%. Um, Another performance measure we look at is the density of. um, Our land use as higher densities are. Easier to serve by transit and and walking and biking. Um, When you when you look at it, it, these numbers show density going down a little bit in Lawrence. That's actually reflective of just some variability in in population estimates from the census. Um, The reality is it's it's continued to to increase with with different infill projects over time. Uh, we also look at costs of transportation. Um, 15% of income is considered a, an affordable um, amount. For for Lawrence, Douglas County, all of the cities we are over that threshold. Um, so that's a, a number to keep an eye on. Um, universities, obviously a big part of, of Lawrence. Um, Just updating enrollment numbers and things from from five years ago, KU does have a master plan that they did um, in 2014. Um, They're working on an update which should be available next year. We also look at historic resources. Um, mapping all the designated um, historic buildings and sites. Similar with floodplains and wetlands, obviously not a lot of change over time with those. Um, they are, the county is working um, on an effort to, to update some of that information with some areas that are prone to flooding. Um, threatened and endangered species, again, no changes from five years ago. Um, these, the different species that are on these lists. Population forecast: uh, we do project out to 2050. This is essentially just kind of a straight line estimate. Um, it's it's obviously a it's an estimate. We don't know what will happen, but that's just kind of one data point of if we continue to grow as we have. Um, this is kind of what what things would look, look like in, in 10 year increments. So that, that projects Lawrence population out to around 120 by 20, 120,000 by 2050. And uh, the whole county area, to about
5: 145,000. So do I understand that's a, that's a flat growth rate that you've applied to future looking years. Correct. Yeah. Of what percent?
2: Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It's just kind of continuing the the trend as it's been. Um, We can have some more sophisticated you know, high end, low end
5: models that are just curious. Yeah. I've seen other plans predict low end and high end with a moderate, right? Yeah. And I think we we will have that in the future, just haven't had
2: time to develop that yet. Um, also looking at population change, um, this map is uh, the darker colors are, are population loss. The red getting into the dark green is is where the most growth has been. So. Obviously, the well, western part
1: of Lawrence has seen a lot of growth. New um, Baldwin City as well. Um, we have looked at the largest employers in the county and over the last
2: five years, trying to quantify some of the, the changes um, in those employers,
1: obviously KU big one, and then some of the other large ones uh, listed here. Environmental justice is a. um, Term that's
2: defined by the Environmental Protection Agency as a fair treatment for people of all races, cultures, incomes and incomes regarding development of environmental laws, regulations and policies. Um, It's a federal requirement when there's federal funds involved to consider environmental justice. So it's something we we map.
1: for that.
0: You'll also notice as we share some of the performance measures we talk about in EJ zones versus not in EJ zones and that's a way to kind of start to show you the assessment to understand if we're looking for disparity if we're seeing any and across our performance measures related to the EJ zones.
2: So there, there's two categories that make up the EJ zone so one is lower moderate income areas and the other is one of uh, minority high minority areas. Um, So that's what this map is indicating.
0: So the load of the load of moderate income, this comes from community development block groups. It's defined by HUD, the gray areas, Um, the crosshatch areas. That's a, a layer that we define in house based on 135%. We calculate the average of all the of minority populations of all the block groups across the community, and then that is block groups that are over 135% of the average of the of those groups. And that's a, this is a, that's a new EJ layer that we just updated with ACS data.
2: So from that data, we, we know that approximately 53% of, of Douglas County
1: population resides within one of those zones. Um, another methodology we used is transportation disadvantage, and it's
2: um, a similar method, but we're we're looking at some other data points: um, low low to moderate income and minorities, but also households with um, a disability, um, people with less than a high school education, single parent households, households without vehicles, um, and then age: uh, youth and senior citizens. Um, this data is. Um, is not as up to date. We're hoping to update it soon once we have that available from the census. Um, So this is a few years old, so.
1: Yeah,
0: and this is consistent with the the work that we've done in um, with Multimodal Transportation Commission and prioritizing bicycle and pedestrian improvements in the five-year CIP with a look to equity and prioritizing they're weighting and prioritizing investments like in the city sidewalk um, improvement program towards areas where we believe there's populations that um, have traditionally uh, tra- traditional transportation disadvantages.
1: So next we get
2: into um, the existing conditions on on just the transportation system as a whole. So that the different multimodal assets so roadways, bike and pedestrian facilities, transit. That includes freight rail
1: as well. Um, one of the performance measures for. That, that
2: we look at is the the mode share of. of whether people drive alone, and this is to work, um, whether they're driving alone, carpooling, bus, walking, biking, et cetera. Um, These are numbers that have stayed fairly consistent, around 77%
1: driving alone in Douglas County, slightly lower in in Lawrence. Then we also, Look at the
2: percentage of people within a quarter mile of a level of comfort three or or below bikeway network. So the level level of comfort on the bikeway network has to do with the, the volume of traffic and speed of traffic and the the level of separation um, of the bike facility from from that roadway. Um, so a marked shared lane, for instance, is. Probably not very comfortable for most people. Um, while a buffered bike lane or protected bike lane shared use path are going to be a lot more comfortable. So we we look at the percentage of population that that has easy access to those facilities and this um, this is from 2020. So we're we're working on on getting more, more up to date, but it gives us kind of a snapshot as it won't have shifted too much in the um, last couple of years.
1: We also look at percentage of streets that, that have a bikeway um, facility. So this is the countywide bikeway um, system.
2: And we'll have a level, level of comfort map, which shows on a scale of zero being most comfortable to five being least comfortable the blue is most comfortable, going up to red as least comfortable. So you can see like the Lawrence Loop is generally blue as the most comfortable while something like 23rd Street is is red. Um, so that's something we, we map and this 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 is was recently updated. We know there's a number of challenges to bicycling, um, things like physical barriers,
1: disconnected network, The level of comfort. Things like wayfinding. Also being needed and just the the level of safety for people or perceived safety.
2: So the pedestrian network.
1: Is the next uh,
2: next category, so we look at existing kind of mileage of sidewalks which. Total mileage doesn't really tell that much of a story, so we have some other performance measures. Um, We look at percentage of streets that have sidewalks on at least one side. Um, So in Lawrence, that's around 76% in the the EJ zone. It's it's a little bit higher, actually around 78%. Um, and, And this will actually need to be updated. That's with the old EJ zones. So we'll we'll recalculate that. Um, the, the city has calculated estimated costs for, for build out of, of the sidewalk network and replacement of, um, of sidewalk that's needed and repair as well as ADA upgrades. Um, so it's in total, it's around 130 million for the whole um, for all of these needs. Uh, This is an existing sidewalk network as well as. um, Planned sidewalk projects. So I know it's a little hard to read probably at this uh, scale.
1: Zoom in a little bit. So you can see these blue, like Queens
2: Road is a a planned sidewalk project. Um,
1: 21st Street, 19th Street, some other areas are, are planned projects. Do the red areas, the red lines
5: represent sidewalk widening for the most part, or is this a new sidewalk on the other side of the street? Or is there a way to generalize what those are in some of those residential areas? Yes. Oh, sorry. So the, the red is um, plan,
2: plan of projects while the blue are kind of pending development.
0: If it's on a place with an existing project, we brought in the, from the bike plan. The bikeway projects, the shared use path projects, that would impact maybe gap or condition, but most of them on tier and collectors would just be sidewalks, unless for some reason they were already slated to be. They were already sidewalks. So Sixth Street's a good example. They, oh, yeah, if
1: I remember.
3: I
0: know Sixth Street. I have a lot of planning project areas. Yes, yeah, Sixth Street does. But so I don't know that that's on there. Who knows? The that? Was a check
3: Yes, 6th Street is all shown in black.
0: Yeah, that's let me go back and look at that. But ideally on this map, there should be locations that are streets that are arterials and collectors where sidewalk gaps exist to fill both sides of the street based on the pedestrian plan. So a lot of this that Paul's presenting is the kind of the excerpts, the high level of condition, either condition or information about uh, about where the network is for those things that come from that from those plans.
1: We need to check that map. Um, for for the other cities, Lecompton, Eudora, Baldwin City, we
2: have also identified uh, where there's missing sidewalk, the, the red versus green is existing. Um, and the pedestrian plans for those are are under development. Um, right now. And those will include believe, priority projects for um, identifying what the the priority network is there. Uh, Similar to to biking, we know there's challenges um, with walking existing network being incomplete or not providing direct and safe um, access. Street crossings are um, a, a challenge THE CITY OF LAWRENCE IS WORKING ON STREET CROSSING GUIDELINES NOW TO to HELP PROVIDE MORE CLEAR DIRECTION ON WHAT KIND OF IMPROVEMENTS SHOULD BE MADE AND and WHERE THOSE SHOULD BE IMPLEMENTED WHEN THERE ARE CROSSINGS
1: OF um, pedestrian AND and BIKE FACILITIES OF of ROADWAYS. Uh, TRANSIT, THERE'S Two primary providers of
2: transit, Lawrence Transit as well as KU on wheels. Um, there's also paratransit provided by um, Lawrence Transit.
1: And KU and Lawrence Transit also have some overnight services. There's a lot of moving parts here in this. Um,
2: Jessica mentioned earlier that the route redesign recently went into effect last month. um, So that those routes are shown here.
1: Um, These were highest boarding locations um, on the old network. We know that We know that
2: transit amenities um, are an important component for um, riders having bus stops that are accessible and comfortable. Um, so that's an ongoing effort of Lawrence transit is is updating bus stops. There are some other transit providers in the region. Um, Burton NASH, uh, Cottonwood Inc, the Senior Resource Center, Independence Inc, um, all provide different. Um, types of, of transit service to
1: to um, some of their clientele. So, in total, the the region
2: was providing approximately three million annual rides prior to to COVID. Um, once, once COVID hit, there was obviously a big drop in those numbers, and there's been a slow rebound um, in those numbers. The Lawrence transits going fare free next year and hopefully that'll help increase ridership. There are a number of performance measures for transit for measuring how they're doing. Um, just the. Total number of trips. Um, in the vehicle revenue hours can give you a average passenger per revenue hour is one measure. Um, The average passenger. um, per Revenue hour obviously dropped with COVID quite a bit. Um, On time performance is is also an important one that. um, Lawrence transit transit is working on getting some of that info for us. Um, Level of satisfaction. The proximity uh, to a bus stop, especially within the environmental justice zone. Um, So we just today got calculations on that, and um, we still need to confirm these, I think, but looks like 96% of um, the population of households with are within a quarter mile of a bus stop in the EJ zone. And that's compared to 66% of the, the general population. Um, They also have some performance measures on um, renewable uh, renewable
1: energy and um, other access. So next we get into the roadway network, and
2: we look at total miles within the county. There's around 1,400 centerline miles of, of road that need to be um maintained and taken care of throughout the different jurisdictions. Um, one concept to, to consider is is designing to move people rather than than just vehicles as uh, areas become more congested, looking at more efficient ways, you know
1: a, a bus or sidewalk can move a lot more people than than a, a car can. Um, different roadways have different classifications um, for the uh, the purposes they serve of, of moving traffic. Um, the computer's freezing up a little bit here. So there's um,
2: arterial arterial streets, collector streets, interstate highways.
1: All play a different role in the system. We also look at the condition of bridges
2: and pavement. Um, we report on uh, KDOT bridges, um, the turnpike bridges, their um, percentage of deck area in, in good condition, reported, as well as national highway system bridges and non-national highway system bridges. Um, so those those numbers are all here. We also look at the percentage that's in poor condition. So, thankfully, very, very low numbers there. Um, pavement condition. All the municipalities use slightly different methodology for um, understanding the condition their their pavement is in and understanding maintenance needs. Um, KDOT and other in Lawrence use vehicles like this that um, go out and, and measure the pavement condition. Um, Lawrence last um, analyzed pavement condition in 2020. And at that time, about 52% of their their roadway was considered in in good condition and 48% in in poor condition. Uh, Douglas County. um, Has 2021 data and theirs was 83% good and 0% poor. Um, similar with Eudora, 85% was was good and 15% poor. And just graphically, this is um, Lawrence roadway condition.
1: Green is is good and red, orange is not so good. Uh, These are traffic signals in Lawrence.
2: Green signals are coordinated signals that are um, connected and timed to help um, with reducing congestion on these different corridors, such as Twenty Third Street, Sixth Street, Iowa, um, and the red. The red are
6: other signals that are not a part of that network. Well, can you define connected to, to each other or a central central control hub?
2: uh lawrence has a central traffic control hub i guess you could call it and and they monitor those
0: they can be operated and changed from that location when they're on the network but those specific corridors when we're talking about uh coordinated they've all been timed for travel flow and so they're in sync with each other
1: We also
2: have data on commuting patterns from the census, and this is a little bit of a confusing map that we're going to work on. Cleaning up a little bit. Um, This is simply showing commute patterns. From County to County, so. For instance, it's showing that. um, Let's see the inbound commuters are in blue, so on a daily basis there's around 2400 people from that live in Johnson County that commute into Douglas County um, while there's about 5500 people that live in Douglas and commute to Johnson County. Um, and We also have the percent change from the last data set. Um, So Shawnee County saw a 34% increase of um, Lawrence
1: commuters going to Shawnee County. Another metric that we track is the total
2: daily vehicle miles traveled per capita, and that just tells us how much people are driving, and um, those are held fairly consistent other than
1: dip in 2020. New times um, have been slowly creeping up, but um, no,
2: no big changes, no big um, surprises, I think. Uh, level of service of roadways is a measure of um, the congestion and how traffic flows. Um, we don't have this data included yet as our consultant is, is working on that model and hopefully our next meeting will be able to share that with you. Rate is a as another component of our transportation system. Um, we don't have a whole lot of data, some of the data that that was included is i think over 10 years old so i think we'll probably take that out just because it's it's so old we don't know how much how, how relevant that is this will
0: be a little something to do with timing because we've got we just the mpo got asked to participate in the mid-america regional council's freight study for next year so we'll be doing that but it'll be at, it'll be before, you know, we have to adopt the plan in the meantime, and then we'll be doing that. So there is some timing issue with you pull in what you have and then you move forward and identify what other work you need to do. And this will be one where we may not be able to put a whole lot here. So the state also just finished their freight plan, right? Or they're updating it now. I
2: think it's in, in progress. It's, yeah. Some of the data we do have shows some interesting increases. So i 70. Um According to the to KDOT, um, KDOT data from 2021 has seen about a 50% increase from 2016 just in the volume of, of freight traffic. Um, we also have data on the South Lawrence traffic way of before the uh, uh, before the East Leg was opened versus after. It's seen about a 75% increase in, in truck traffic. And this map just has overall traffic counts, is the, the top
1: number highlighted in blue, and the lower is the the freight truck traffic truck traffic. Uh, railroads are also an important part of um, the freight network. Um, we know that.
2: The Burlington Northern Santa Fe runs through the county and on average, she's about seven days, seven trains per day. And the Union Pacific cuts cuts through the county and sees about 40 trains per day on average. Um, Some interesting statistics on on what kind of freight is arriving in Lawrence, it's predominantly coal, at least in 2014, it's the most recent data.
1: Also, passenger rail Amtrak statistics, um, ridership data through 2019, Um, uh,
2: sorry, the the ridership has been fairly consistent um, around 8,000 or so people arriving or departing at the, the Lawrence station. So safety is obviously a compo- important component. Um, we know that when a pedestrian is, is hit by a, a vehicle in a crash, the, their survival fatality rate at 20 miles an hour is, is around 18% versus at 40 miles an hour, it's around 77%. Um, so speed is obviously a big component of safety. So we, we track a lot of the crash statistics, the non-motorized fatalities and serious injuries. So people walking and biking. This is measured in rolling five-year averages to
0: so a lot of these, if you see that little that little wheel icon when you get to the performance measure, that means it's federally required. Um, and if it's federally required, that means they tell us how we need to do the how do we report it so the thing about that as we roll out as they rolled out national performance reporting on some of these factors it means that if you look at any MPO region across, the country, they're all gonna be reporting these measures the same way, which means it's standardized. It also means it's sometimes confusing to what you're actually seeing. And so um, in the actual performance reporting some of our stuff when we set tar some of these measures we also have to set targets for, and we will do that as part of this process, or we do it as part of a separate process because it happens outside of this process. But just know when you see that little black wheel, that means it's federally required. And so we're do what we're doing there is prescriptive and told to us about how we report that measure.
6: Is there anything you can attribute to the drop or decreasing fatalities from the 2013-17 cycle timeframe to current? Um I mean it's
0: like uh, 40%. Possibly anecdotally, yes. Um if, for example in the city of Lawrence and so this is where I don't know, we're trying to pull in some before and we, We're trying to work with both the city and the county to show some before and after examples of safety projects that have happened over this time frame in the last five years or even in the last decade that can kind of start to look at causation in some of this. Um, So let me give you an example, and then we're going to just have to see if we have the data. There have been a number of Highway Safety Improvement Program projects, which is a federal funding source that the city can apply to KDOT for to do projects. So in Lawrence, for those of you that have been around for a little while, you may recognize that as um, 23rd in Iowa when they did the, the lane reconfiguration and the reflow right turn lanes, um, 6th in Iowa, um, the turn lane onto Kentucky at 6th Street, Um, The right turn lane. Another example would be the buffered and the green pavement bike lanes on Massachusetts. Those were all projects that had that HSIP, Highway Safety Improvement Program funding. And so we're going to try to go back and pull some before and after before crash data and safety information, and to show what kind of the projected benefits of some of those are. Um, Additionally, we know roundabouts have a huge safety benefit and you know Wakarusa has deployed roundabouts in a lot of that timeframe as it's been reconstructed. Um, And so I think there's probably a variety of things um, I don't know that we have dug in enough to the data details to, to know that, but we're hoping to start telling some of that story with some of this data. So it's something we've asked um, our local partners to help pro- help provide some of that uh, data to us so we can make this section more robust. I would also note that this the MPO in partnership with the City of Lawrence and Eudora and Baldwin City submitted a Safe Streets and Roads uh, for All planning grant um, to the USDOT. For um, to to write a Vision Zero safety action plan, and if we uh, we will be identifying that kind of needed work in this plan, so we will try to um, explore some of that component. But we anticipate a future planning process. Um, in the next year um, or two um, to do some additional safety work. That kind of dives more into identifying a high volume crash network, um, looking at locations and probably um, whatever there's a, there are a series of cost effective, some of the lower cost countermeasures for safety, particularly for for vulnerable populations. And so I would expect some of that to be a a result of that work.
1: So this next um, figure is mapping
2: um, injure, I- injury 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 sorry words aren't coming out um, fatal and in- injury accidents
1: um, crashes for for bicycles in Lawrence and I'm sorry to ask another question are these uniquely bicycle accidents or are these car versus cyclist accidents.
0: So all of this data is what is submitted on the Kansas Motor Vehicle Accident Report Form, which means that it must involve a motor vehicle. So we know overall for bike and ped, if it includes bike and ped together as an incident or um, just a cyclist alone on a roadway um, in a crash situation, that would not be reported in this data set because this is a national data set that's based on the standards um, that law enforcement have set for those motor vehicle accident report forms.
1: Uh, So this one is specific to pedestrians in Lawrence, and these are the other cities,
2: um, bike and pedestrians.
0: In, in August, I would note probably you saw in the you saw in the comments of this, but also in the comments uh, from the pedestrian planning process that um, people told a lot of stories of near misses, which are also not represented in um, the safety information. This is the result of people who file a report in the instance of a crash, meaning law enforcement was involved. So we also know there's underreporting of near misses or um, other safety concerns, maybe that don't. Um, result in a accident report form being filed.
1: I'm wondering if the separate data set for that should be uh, incorporated into the city planning.
0: I have seen some national programs that use app-based reporting to try to do that. Um, I haven't seen that they have much success. We will. We will go back and check back into that because that's newer in the last probably five to 10 years in terms of people trying to do that, giving people another option for how to report stuff. Um, When we do, when we've done other bikeway planning or uh, even some of the safe routes to school planning, we can also go in and look at um, hospital data about reported you know uh, safe kids Douglas County works on preventable injuries and they have a database from hospital admissions so that can also kind of inform your data set to be able to tell that we haven't looked at that um I think since probably we did one of the last bike plans but we could look at that too as uh, probably as part of our safety planning I would reckon imagine we will
1: um make at that I think
0: still probably regardless if we do that, it's still an incomplete picture. And the bigger part of it still you hear a lot of, I think, in the comments is that we hear from people is not only just actual safety. So this happened to me, but also perceived safety of how you feel standing on the street with motor vehicles next to you operating at 35, 40 miles an hour. And so some of that is um, the reality of what we have to address both Actual and perceived safety in relationship to multimodal trip making.
2: This, like, I do know that there are so many intersections here in uh, Douglas County where it is very dangerous for a
1: pedestrian or a bicyclist just trying try to safely cross or move around.
0: Yeah. And you probably recall from the pedestrian plan work that we did where we talked about crossings and there's a lot of crossings of concern to people in the community. So, And
2: it's like uh, we as a board went out, tested
1: several of those that were mentioned and found that, yes, there was definitely concerns that were valid. So another performance measure is um, overall
2: fatality rate of Crashes on on public roads. Um, we we break it down by the, um, the ownership of the road, but overall, the fatalities have been trending up, uh, which is a, a trend that's that's been a national trend as well, not just local here in Lawrence and Douglas County. Interestingly, though, the the serious injury rate has actually gone down.
6: And um, this August, I'm sorry, I don't always ask as many questions. When KDOT switched the East 23rd Street from State Highway 10 to City-owned, did that skew the numbers at all? Um, did that I, make I,
2: sense? I, yeah, I would imagine that's reflected.
0: Yeah, so we, we report one of, like the, the feds care about one number, which is what's our total number for the NPO. But as we begin to talk to cities and trying to tell the story of this planning work, we realize what we really need to be able to report is who maintains the road. Because if we ha- we see an anomaly in the data where there is really causation to go back to one local government, we can say, well, you're really attributing to a majority of the incidents that are happening here, I think that we didn't look specifically at that location, but I imagine equally so it probably handed back some network to the city, but we never used to report this by we went back and reported it. But at the time we that that flip was made, we were had just begun performance based planning. So I'm not sure that we would have noticed that like we may now if we were talking about a big change like that.
1: so we we've, we've been working on trying to develop maps that help tell the story of, of
2: where the crashes are and um, they're still a work in progress but this this map is um normalizing the crash rate um based on the volume of traffic
1: um is so the total volume at call?
2: it's the total volume of traffic yeah and it's yeah, per segment of roadway, you know, so, so obviously we see a lot of acts, you know, crashes on, on the busier streets, you know, 23rd, 6th, Iowa, um, but when you, when you consider the volume of those streets, the, the crash rates are not actually that high compared to, to some other streets. So that's just another way of looking at the data.
0: Let's go back up to that for just a second. So we've done some crash work previously. I guess I would point out 23rd Street as you think about the intersections um, of Haskell and Harper. And so some of the previous crash work we did where we looked at expected crash frequency, which is similar to this, and thinking about volume versus um, actual crashes perceived and did some of that work has these types of analyses lead to consideration when projects are being done like the 23rd street uh, reconstruction that's happening right now that improvements uh, for access management and improvements at intersections happen as a result of um the crash some of this crash data so this informs if as we start to think about when we look at level of comfort in the future of our model we will also probably want to look comparatively to see where there would be Opportunities to both address geometric improvements, maybe at an intersection, thinking about turn lanes or dual turn lanes or crossing distance or those sorts of things in relationship to where we're seeing crashes that exceed um, the rate based on normalized for volume. So maybe
1: that gives you a way to think about it. And then we also have a, a heat map of crashes.
2: For the unincorporated areas of the county is i think when you include lawrence it, it kind of distorts everything so i think that's why we were looking at outside the the city limits um and that's that's everything we we have in existing conditions for now so any questions comments discussion
0: You'll notice there were some blanks still. We're working on stuff. <laughs> it's a little bit like herding cats to go get all this data and information from all of our partners, so.
3: Mm-hmm. I'll admit, picking, to go back to the uh, fatalities charts, so or just the number of fatalities chart, I just noticed on bottom it says includes vehicles, but I mean, you might wanna just change it to drivers. Almost.
0: It's a vehicle accident report form. So, may maybe let me think about that. Let me see what the language says in the federal. Okay, oh,
3: that's a federal said so.
0: Yeah, so that's a that that performance measure is a federal one. So they would say include vehicle. They don't use the. I get where you're going with that, which is to put it to the person, just like you would the pedestrian or the bicyclist. Yes, yeah. Um, let me see how they've said that. We may be able to do that. We have to get funny about some stuff. And also it may not be the driver that have passed away. It could be driver or passenger. So it's like,
1: um
4: so can we get back to you I I didn't have time to absorb all this this is comprehensive it's a lot of work. Um can I can we get back to you with comments after the meeting would that Absolutely. be helpful?
0: Absolutely. And this okay. is going and this is going to be um a evolving process. So we're giving right. you We're showing you this first draft. Yep. We're going to continue to add to it based on your feedback, based on continuing data we get as we evolve before we get to a plan, hopefully in January, that we can release a draft plan, like the entire plan back out for public comment for a 30-day period before we do approvals in May or okay. in March, excuse me. We have to have it adopted in March to be can be in federal compliance. Right.
4: Okay. Thank
0: so, you. This is trying to show you like, we're not gonna write this all overnight. We are working on it as we as we go along too, and it will continue to evolve probably to the, that very last, very last minutes. I
1: remember we with the bicycle plan, uh, and it was like, we were like less than two days away. Even finished.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, we'll, we will keep evolving until we're like, okay, stop, so we can get it done. We look
1: real quick on page 84. Yeah. um, yeah. So it's interesting to me to see that in the city limits
5: the miles traveled in Lawrence for example is around 12 something except for COVID which is 10-9 and you can see Baldwin and Eudora in the rural so the rural areas must be greater than Douglas County is that is that right?
0: right? Yeah, Douglas County is the total of everybody added together. Their rural areas are unincorporated Douglas County. Un-
5: unincorpor- so if you're in the county, work. you drive a lot more yes. than someone who drives. And that yes. tracks completely with yeah. but there's also my few, own experience.
0: There's also fewer of them. So overall, probably that average of daily vehicle miles traveled.
5: Okay, so sorry to keep skipping around on you,
1: okay. but page 13. Uh, four, yeah, 13. Sorry. Right there in the performance measure of density of urban area people per
5: square mile has this statement about low density land use increases vehicle use and reduces the viability of other modes of travel. Therefore, costs are reduced by promoting density. That's a that's a definitive statement. I wondered if it was based on any any you know fact or authority i get the logic but my concern is that by saying it so absolutely i don't want this plan because in my view this plan should accommodate our community's growth as it happens whether you know because we we could amend plan 2040 at any time to add something into tier one or take something out of tier three And if something were to leapfrog, I I don't wanna have any concern in this plan about, oh, well, should we extend a road that way because we don't want to skew this performance measure. Uh, I think you could soften that that language by saying that it may reduce the viability of other modes of travel. And that cost could be reduced by, it's not absolute. I mean, you could put something very, very dense in town, but if it's not next to something that people can walk to, they're still gonna drive. Um, so I, I don't, I don't disagree with it being there. I think maybe we just need to soften that phrase just a smidge. That's my opinion.
1: Sorry.
0: That's, a weird, that's these are the types of things we have, are having conversation about.
1: I wrote that down. Although I will bet that we'll
0: ride this plan again in another five years. I know. Right? 2040. <laughs> I would almost put money on that. <laughs> but I don't disagree. I think they could. Okay. So besides talking about some of the stuff that is there, is there anything you wish you saw in this that you think we didn't show you? That we haven't, I mean, it's, it's one thing if we left the placeholder board, we're going to get to that. But is there anything else you'd like to see that we haven't got information about or data about that we put as part of this process that you think would be beneficial?
6: This is all your kind of- I would like to know if there's anything, if there's any forecasting for changes in commuter traffic or patterns when Panasonic starts hiring or, or training.
0: So we um, hope to bring you at the next meeting the start of the conversation from our travel demand model, and that does already have... Some growing assumptions in it about de- development, particularly thinking about housing, um, in that, in that side of the county and where we anticipate how that decision to locate that plant may impact Eudora's housing and how that may impact population in terms of employment and, um, how those trip generation factors happen from that residential to those areas. At that level on a regional scale, that will happen. Um, There will, I would assume KDOT will do, some of that's outside of our county, right? So KDOT um, also has a five-county regional study that they did in the last decade. And they may find that they are pulling that study back out. Um, that include Douglas County, Johnson County, but some other counties in the metro where they looked at transportation recommendations based on projections they had made. And they also have travel demand models that they have for larger the larger areas. And so like the Mid-America Regional Council, which is the MPO and The Kansas, greater Kansas city area also has some of that. So I think some of those things will be in our scope and we'll we'll try to uh, accommodate them with our assumptions and other things we'll probably have to participate as part of larger discussions about some of those impacts and things that will happen.
1: Awesome, thank you.
4: I have a question. Um, This may be too specific, but I'm thinking of the number of people aging in Douglas County. Um, There's a lot more uh, assisted living. um, and, And I think in general, society's aging. And I'm thinking of the numbers of people who are driving now, but over the next 20 years, maybe five years, may stop driving or need to stop driving. And what their needs will be and I don't I don't know if there's any way to factor that in but I think it's going to be an issue um might be too specific for this and I don't know what the date is so
0: yeah I that would be something I would ask our travel demand modeler to follow up about how age or demographic considerations in your model area impact any of those trip generations so I'll write that down and we'll yeah ask
4: I, sure. I think it I think it might be interesting and it might be a, a factor as um, people age.
0: So read through this, if you come up with something else as you're doing this work that you don't see until you see it in a future draft, um, we'll be happy to have that conversation. Do you have any public comment you would like to find? Okay. Is there anyone on, I noticed we had a member of the public join us online. Is there any comment online? Can you raise your hand? Okay. I have I, one more comment. Oh, no one. Oh, yep, I have none, but you're good.
3: Okay, yeah, so you asked if, there's something missing or something we're hopeful to add in. And I'll go back to, um, well, so I was reading through Plan 2040 earlier today, and it mentioned a need to reduce vehicle emissions by reducing amount of VMTs. Um, So I guess I'm still hopeful to see some work done to quantify or visualize air quality. you know, some form of map or measurable data. Um just I think that's an important thing to include and um you know visually we'll be able to see is the bad air distributed mostly in EJ zones. I think it'd be
0: so Douglas County does not have an air quality monitor. Yeah. There is not one in our county, so that makes it hard to be able to show you any quantifiable data. Yeah. There is data in Kansas City and Topeka though. Um, And just a little bit of history, if so, if if we are meeting, meaning all those monitors are meeting the standards, all the standards that the EPA has set for air quality, then there's not much, there's less consideration besides aspirational goals tied back to transportation. If any of those air quality monitors go into non-attainment for air quality, then that Automatically changes the requirements of what you have to do for transportation planning, um, and so I think we can make sure we talk we talk about that and talk about some of the goals. I'm we are also trying to coordinate with the work that's happening on the climate action plan. Um, we're serving on that staff advisor team to help to make those connections. I think related to that, we'll see some of that in terms of the strategic plan, the Lawrence strategic plan, and some of the initiatives that they have uh, brought in related to some of that climate impact. Mm-hmm. So. We'll see, we'll see what we can do, but I do think we're a little bit pigeoned because we are we currently don't have an air quality monitor and we're in attainment. So if we, if either of those sides would go into non-attainment, we would then be engaged in a conversation as the MPO with KDHE and the local public health department um, around air quality. And you basically get an air quality budget and you have to budget your, you can't build capacity projects on your roadways unless they fit within your air quality budget. And you can do things to offset that and stuff, but it brings on, like we're doing our travel demand modeling, you have a travel demand model, and then, and you also have an air quality model. And so it brings on a lot of new requirements for MPOs. If we get to that place, we'd like to not get to that place, but we can talk about some of that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, Okay. I guess, yeah, I'd also love to see, I mean, you know, Plan 2040 is saying it says reduce EMTs, but nothing's really saying by how much, or what is our goal, or what is the goal over time? So that'd be good to include, I know. Like you mentioned, the climate action. Yeah, maybe sure. that's the place to do
0: sure. that. Well, and I don't, I don't know that that it's one or the other. But I would say also let's pay attention because the travel demand model. One of the things that it does is project what the VMTs will be when we are looking at our population and employment distributions, and it makes. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of assumptions and projections. But we will be looking at some scenarios about different fund, funding projects, programs, or policies, right? And based on those, in terms of what types of services you are talking about, you know, thinking about mode split in that, we will be able to see kind of the different projections related to VMT. And I think some of that may be something that you're interested in.
5: Is it, is it carbon emissions that's the primary determinant for the pollutants that we're measuring for those things, or is it is it other materials?
0: There, other uh, you're off the top of my head. There's a couple different, I think there's like three or four different things that they have
1: so i can't tell you right this second it's like particulate
0: matter. yeah there's other yes yes or like and some of it's not necessarily attributed to transportation some of it could be attributed to other things about the air quality in the region your lawnmower or your you know other uh Uh, industrial operations, but because the air quality overall is that transportation is one of the sources that they target in regulation um, with the structure of how they do budget, because they can tie funding to it, right, with the mechanism. for So some of the things you're doing, like some of the things the city's doing now, like converting to a, a zero emission fleet, those are things that would give you credits in your budget. So if we do them before we get air quality, you don't get to go back and count them. So there are There's always conversation. I mean, it's not a reason not to do it, but there are conversations, I think, in some regions about if you do all the low hanging fruit things and then you get into a situation where you really have to talk about what your air quality budget is. And there's that's going to lead if that happens, that leads to a lot of bigger conversations, because is it a Lawrence, a Douglas County budget, a Shawnee County budget? mid-america regional council budget are there three separate budgets do they put them together because they're so interconnected right Right. and if if kansas city goes non-attainment but topeka doesn't does that mean we get pulled in technically our proxy monitor is the one that's in leavenworth the mid-america regional council has a variety of monitors um and so we have one that's like a proxy so there's going to be a lot if that happens um there will be a lot of conversation and debate about how that process rolls out and what that looks like And I've never been at an MPO that does that. I've just, you know.
5: I think cities can decide if they want to run a zero emission fleet or if they run entirely on clean energy. Yes. I don't know that cities would go so far as to say that in Lawrence, Kansas, you can't have a gas vehicle. And I don't think you're telling No,
0: them- no, I'm talking about, I'm talking yeah. about city transit right, right. or so, city operation. And, and vehicles, so to the extent
5: yes. that most of the traffic on our roads is private traffic, we
0: yes necessarily. Well, and so the, the, the way they can control that is by capacity. So if you have a roadway project where you're saying, like the SLT, where you're saying we're going from two lane to four lane, if you're four lane based on the model, the number of VMT that you would generate from that capacity addition, if you. Don't have that in your budget, you can't build that road. So that's how they control it is a mechanism of how much road you build. Because if the road isn't there, then it's not there to drive on. Sense.
5: Okay, thanks. Yeah. So
0: that. so it's a, and I don't even know how that model works. I just know that the travel demand model, you have the output of that that feeds into an air quality model. And I think they've updated the air quality model a few times since I've been to that training. So we'll have to have a consultant help us do that if we get Very to that helpful. place. <laughs> Okay. All right, well, thank you all. Hopefully this gives you a little bit to digest. So, you know, we've been busy working in the meantime, since you haven't heard from us in a very long time. we are busy working on this and a lot of other things. Um, if you look at our MPO policy board agendas, you can see some of those things. But we hope to be back in a month um, to you with some more stuff. Um, we're working with our travel demand model consultant who has a validated model. We're finishing projections. Um, we'll we'll continue to do this work and bring back hopefully a draft, some drafts of. Um, thinking about pulling all those activities out of all those plans and looking at last year's to see how we would update and reframe a lot of the work we recommend. So um, thank you for your time and um, your attention to detail as we do this work. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica.
1: Thanks. Thanks.